So glad to have the newest people in the room, which we have lots, we have lots every Sunday. And I'm a little overwhelmed how many of you have been here for 15 years. That is incredible. And I thought I would just take, I mean, I literally have about 25 minutes and tell you the story of our church because not everyone was around, but some of you were. And I want everyone to know our story and be thankful for it. Um, and you need to know this, is if I t- as I tell our story as a church, um, I'm telling it through my eyes, and you just need to know that. I would love to tell everybody's version, but I only know mine, so I'm gonna do my best to do this, and I'm not going to get it all right. And I'm not gonna do it justice, because it's such a beautiful story. But the place I'd start is, if I was gonna talk about how I view our story as a church, I would talk about this. I would talk about God working in broken places with a broken pastor. Ooh, that's emotional and broken families, and broken people, and a broken world. But back with a broken pastor that God decided to let be a part of something that's just beautiful. Because we had this dream years ago, 15 plus years ago, that we just thought people who are far from God needed to be close to God. And we realized that we have some amazing churches in our area, but we knew there were some people that we knew personally that didn't fit in those churches like if they showed up they wouldn't feel right they didn't know what to say they didn't know what to sit to sit they didn't know what scriptures to quote they didn't know any of that and we knew that light or van Wert did not need another church and i said this for years but van Wert needed a different kind of church we have great churches in our community but they need we needed a different kind of church where people could come and ask honest questions with honest doubts where if you didn't believe at all, you could come and at least listen and figure out if you wanted to come back, where it could be as clear as we could make it. And we didn't always make it clear, but we tried so hard and welcoming. Like, like when people would walk through the doors of our church, people, the people that would greet them would just be so glad they're here. And when we would saw, see people in our community, we'd be the same people out there that we are in the building. And again, we didn't always get that right, but we really tried hard to do that. And so we had this dream. What if we could start a church that unchurched people love to attend? Now, these numbers are debatable. And as Pete and I were talking about earlier, sometimes I stretch the truth. But I think when we started the church, we had about 80 core people, about 40 people that were super, super dedicated to what we were trying to do and a couple of extra people floating around. And, and um, we had a challenge, like most churches do when they're trying to get off the ground. We needed a place to meet. And our venues thinking about um, meeting at fell through. And I'll never forget this. Clark Williman, the lead pastor at Calvary Evangelical Church, you may have heard talk about this in the past. He called me up and he said, Matt, listen, I hear what you're trying to do. Um, we have an auditorium or we have a fellowship hall we don't use much on Sunday morning. If you want to try and start your church and that why we meet in our main auditorium, you're totally welcome to come and start a church in our fellowship hall at the same time on Sunday morning. And I was so overwhelmed by Clark's graciousness. And so if you see Clark anywhere around this week or this month, on behalf of me and our church, Clark, thank you. We didn't take him up on the order on that offer, but we were so grateful that he offered that. Well, Camp Clay, we realized, was available on Sunday morning, and not only was it available, Camp Clay, if you've ever been there, um, which is a pretty good-sized building, was available for 50 bucks every Sunday, and that was it. I have friends that pay $3,000 a Sunday to run out of building like Camp Clay. I think we probably owe the Y some money back someday. Don't tell them I said that, but we probably owe them some money. And it gave us an opportunity to start in a place where we were financially in pretty good shape. And so in 2007, 15 years ago, on January 6th, 
about 40 of us showed up at the Camp Clay facility, and it was pretty dirty and pretty messy, and we spent four hours as a crew cleaning this place top to bottom, setting up these steel awful chairs. You sat down in them. They were so cold. It was awful, but we did, and we set up the what little lights we had, and we had a sound system, and when we were all done, we just were so excited. We were young. We were excited, but we thought maybe, maybe God might do something with us. And do something spectacular. But I went home that night as a young pastor. And I I don't talk about this very much. Because I don't want people to know how weak I am. I laid in bed that night and I asked myself. asked God, what if no one shows up? What if we've done all this work and invested this time and energy and money. And no one shows up. And you need to know this. For a pastor to start a church and it fail. It's a tough thing on your resume. And I had that running through my head. But we were young. And maybe just foolish enough to think God might do something amazing with this church. And so the next morning, we all got there on January 7th, 2007, and and this happened. Now, this doesn't look like much compared to what it looks like in here, but there were 208 people that came that morning, and I was blown away. We grew the church from there down to about 180 people. That was a really good win, but then after it got dropped down to 180 people, it never dropped below that, and it just started to take off. And here's what you need to know. If you weren't around in those days, some of you could attest this. It was hard work. It was setting up and tearing down and praying the sound system would stay together and the projector wouldn't burn up and there was warm enough in certain places so people you know, would enjoy themselves. And if you've ever been out to Camp Clay, it once, once upon a time was a roller rink. <laughs> and the place always kind of smelled like dirty feet all the time. Because there was skating everywhere. And there was this weird sewer odor that we just kind of pretended wasn't there because we couldn't figure out how to fix it. And not only did we, you know, have challenges in, you know, the main part where we really had challenges was in our kids' environments. This was a Sunday school class back in the day. It was a storage room with no heat, but people did their best. Now, you need to know one of my biggest regrets as a pastor of our church is in the early days, I didn't have a great vision for kids and students, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. It was, it was another one of those ideas that God did something in spite of my lack and my failures. But our volunteers, I'm telling you, and you guys don't know this if you're new, and that's okay, our volunteers worked their tails off. I leaned over to one of our leaders one day when we were all working crazy hard, and I said, I, I just think these volunteers, if I asked them to run into hell with a squirt gun, they would. That's how much some of you believed in what we were doing to reach people. The second Easter, I remember we, we you know, invited everybody to come and everybody showed up that we invited. It was crazy, like 350 people showed up. And again, it wasn't just that people showed up, it's the fact that people were coming that had never had a church experience. Church was new to them, or maybe they had walked away from church. Their faith had kind of shriveled up and something was happening in people's lives. I mean, I've told you this story if you've been around, but it's one of my favorite stories. I invited a friend, his name was Jamie. He came, wasn't a church person, didn't know church etiquette. At the end of the service, I'm walking across Camp Clay's you know, big room and he yells across the room, hey Matt, that was a hell of a sermon. That's what he said. <laughs> hell of a sermon. I so want to say, yeah, you're damn right. No, you didn't say that, I promise you. Oh, I forget we go out on the internet now, don't we? <laughs> and I thought, I love that, because that's what we want to have happen. We want people to find out there's a God and know they can resonate with them. Well, here was the beautiful thing. We grew and grew, and after about two years, we had the opportunity 
to rent Camp Clay full time. And that was such a big deal because when we got to rent Camp Clay full time, we set it up different, but we could set up permanently. And again, if you were around, and we all walked out that first day where we didn't have to put the chairs away or the sound system away. And we went home and got in our cars and had lunch like normal people. We, we felt like it was like a gift from God nerve-wracking because we spent money to do what we did and we had to spend money for the first time it was expensive but we took these steps of faith and and I want to tell you that there was hard things besides setting up chairs and being in cold storage rooms because at times people that said they were going to be with us along the way to the bitter end they believed in the mission they would just decide to leave and that was really hard People that I thought, you know, they're with us shoulder to shoulder and we're going to do this thing together until we die would just disappear and not even tell us why. They would just be, they'd just be gone. And then people would come from other churches and sometimes that was really good and sometimes people would come from other churches and they would want at our church what they had at their church, which was great at their church, but we weren't going to do it. Whether it was the music or Sunday school for adults or whatever it was. I remember when we went to two services, that was after we went full time. It was after full time. And I got to ask my person, hey, we're going to vote on going to two services, aren't we? And I'm like, no, we're not voting on that, man. We're just doing it for the mission. And I remember I had to grow up really fast as a leader because we had to keep going forward with what we've been called to do. But let me tell you, God was working in broken places. He was working in me. He was working in some of you. He was working in Van Wert, Ohio. And there's a lot of brokenness around us, but God was doing stuff in spite of us. And when we would have someone come in and ask these questions like, hey, which is the New Testament and which is the Old Testament, which some of you may ask that question because you're not sure, our hearts would light up because it would be an opportunity to talk about it and have conversations. And it's okay if you don't believe it all, let's just keep talking about Jesus because Jesus was central to everything like he is now and he used us. It was so cool to see everybody come. But we'd have days like this day where people would get baptized one after another after another. Like Stacy got baptized. I remember just couldn't believe what God was doing in Stacy's life. And Kim got baptized and was so encouraging to see that. And Betty Holiday, I remember when Betty Holiday got baptized, her son was playing up here earlier. It was amazing. And Mike and Kelly Keezer went public with their faith. I mean, people just came out of their seats. And Mallory and Fred Pond, a father and a daughter, got baptized together. It was so exciting. And sure, the numbers were great. And sure, it was good to have everybody there. But to see life change on that level, it was overwhelming, just like it's overwhelming now. The difference between then and now is now we just expect it. It's just something that's so regular. We had never experienced that in our lives before. And along the way, you will see Howard get baptized in this. And I don't know if Howard's in the room. I didn't ask him if I could talk about Howard, but I'm gonna. So Howard, forgive me if I offend you. Howard showed up and Howard told me, and he gets baptized and says in his story, hey, I'm an atheist and I don't wanna come to church. And Howard's not a young man. He's got kids and grandkids, and now he has a great-grandchild. But he walked into our church after being invited by his family many, many times, and he finally came, and it resonated. 
And he talks about having an aha moment where God made sense and Jesus made sense and there's a possibility of connecting with the living God. And he, when he got baptized, I just remember thinking, this is what we dreamed about. This is what I wanted to do my entire adult life is see this happen. Now here's the cool part about Howard. Howard's still around, he serves, he's in community with other people, but even better than that, his kids are involved, his grandkids are involved, and his grandchild. There's four generations of Howard's family here, of God working in broken places. And I, and I think, you know, I, I could have been in other places in our country. I could have been in places that's warmer in the winter. Oh my goodness, that would be nice to be in places that's warmer. I'm not sure I'd want to be anywhere else than with you guys doing what we've gotten to do for the last 15 years. But there was challenges. There's always challenges, right? You see, as we grew as a church, things got more complex. And I remember when we hit 500 people, I remember thinking, I'm not sure I know how to lead a church this big. And I remember something Andy Stanley said. He said, your mission's hanging on the wall while your system's are happening down the hall. And you know, our mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus and to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. And that sounds so good and so inspiring. But at the same time, kids are in storage rooms. We don't have any staff as a church. We have 500 people. I'm not sure how to do church for 500 people. And I'm so grateful, maybe you don't know this about our church, we became partners with North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Andy Stanley's church. And we began to learn how to do things better and we created kids environments we hired staff we realized we got to help every generation find what God has for them and that's part I wish I would have done earlier but I'm thankful we figured it out along the way and again we grew and we grew and we grew this is one of the last Easter's at Camp Clay <laughs> please don't tell anybody outside this room or on the internet which everybody's on the internet um, there was 1200 people in the building that day and I remember thinking if a fire marshal walks into this place we are in a lot of trouble. Now we do it all right here, I promise you. We just had all these people showing up. We were packed with people. And we'd outgrown our building, especially for kids and students. They needed an environment. And so we were looking for places, and you know how this goes, like if you're looking for a house. Every time you look at a place, you think that's way too much money. It doesn't work, it's too big, it's too small, it doesn't work. And we couldn't find a place. And then one day, Pete, that was up here with us earlier, he walked up to me and said in my office, hey Matt, I just heard pick and save is for sale. And I immediately was Debbie Downer. That will never work, Pete. But Pete's a dreamer. And it's way too expensive, Pete. But Pete's a dreamer. The ceilings in the building are too short. You have, we have to have 19-foot ceilings in that grocery store. They're too short. They won't, won't work. He said, just let's go look at it. And so we went and looked at it. And this is what it looked like. Remember this? This was pick and save. This is the building you're in right now. And Lo and behold, the ceilings were 20 feet high. It was just like perfectly spaced in there. If you would have told me then that it was going to be a $5 million project from then to now, I would have said, there's no way we'll take this on. But we started to muster up the courage and the boldness and ask God to give us a direction. And we, we leaned in. And you guys all gave so generously. Remember the whole Here and Now campaign? We raised a million six dollars and since then, we've raised another, you know, almost 450 or 4.5 million. <laughs> Just want to say this. I want to make sure I get this right. This project for this building was about $5 million from start to finish. We have 200,000-ish dollars left on the debt. That's all we got left. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, thanks. 
So now I'd like to transition to, if anybody would write, like to write a check for $200,000, no, I'm just kidding, that's not, that's not, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So, but not only did we raise the money, so many of you worked your tails off to create this amazing space that we get to be a part of. And then five and a half or so years ago, we had our first service here and people came. Here's the other fun, just silly fact. At Camp Clay, we had 1,200 people showing up on a Sunday. There was like four toilets, four toilets for all those people. And we don't even appreciate it anymore because when we opened this place, 37 toilets, baby, 37 toilets, yeah. That's a lot better, right? What was fun about this is the, the day we opened this building, 400 more people came. Just, it was crazy. It just grew again. But not only like in here, this is one of my favorite pictures. This is when we sent 100 plus kids to big stuff to camp. Student ministries took off. In upstreet, kids were sitting in circles in great environments, learning that they could trust Jesus with their lives. In Wombaland, which is where our littlest kids meet. I, I love this picture, because here's who the environment is all about. Why are all these adults in here with the kids? Do you know why? Because they're serving, loving, and participating in the story of God with these little kids. And you might tell the story. I showed up in those days. Maybe you would say, I showed up today. Years ago. And the story we've heard over and over is I showed up and I sat in my car and never came inside because I had tried church before and it was not good and I did not want to go in a place I didn't know. But finally, after a week or two, coming back, sitting in the parking lot, I finally went in. I couldn't believe it. And it's not that I couldn't believe the smoke and the lights and the, uh, 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 that's great. I couldn't believe I could be loved. I couldn't believe I could be forgiven. I couldn't believe I could be a part of someplace that was real. No, it wasn't fake, it was real. We've heard that story over and over. And that might be your story. I've heard it so many times. And here we are, we have this amazing church that's doing amazing things. But I want to tell you that this is not the only church that's doing amazing things in our world, in our county. In fact, this is not the first time amazing church has ever happened. It's been happening for centuries. But 2,000 years ago, an amazing church took off in the first century. Jesus rose from the dead. He returned to heaven. And he looked at his closest friends. He said, you guys are in charge of the church. I'll back you through it all. I'll be the center of it. But you've got to lead. Peter and John, James, go lead my church. And they did. And the church was beautiful when it first took off 2,000 years ago. In fact, Luke, who describes it, listen how he writes about the first church. He said, they, the, the believers, the followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the gospel. And if you don't know what the gospel is, you know what the gospel is? We're sinful people. We are far from God. And Jesus sent his son to this planet to die so we didn't have to. That we would know God and be forgiven. That's the that's the gospel, that's the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone, I love this so much, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now I've been asked over the years, Matt, have you ever seen a miracle? And I, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen someone get up out of a wheelchair and just walk when their back's broken or a leg, I've never seen that. But I would tell you I have been an eyewitness to miracles for years around here. Because I've watched what God has done in people's brokenness. His healing, his restoration, his putting families back together. When families don't get put back together, God bringing people back to them when their biggest, deepest pain. We've had a front row seat 
to all of that. Luke tells us that all the believers were together and had everything in common. I would love to spend the next hour just talking about this. I don't have time. I want to say this. Do you know what Christian superpower is? It's not big fancy prayers. It's not you know saying the scriptures all in the right perfect way. It's unity. When we get so focused on Jesus and nothing else that we go towards him and bring people with us. That is our superpower as, as followers of Jesus. Luke goes on. He said they sold their property and possessions to give anyone who had need. I've seen you guys do that for the cause over and over again. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I can tell you a little secret. Again, don't let anybody know this. Don't repeat this on the internet. <laughs> you ready? Not everybody likes us as a church around here. Do you guys know that? Not everybody's super fond of Lifehouse. But on the other hand, I'm amazed when I go to places and hear people in our community talk about you and your generosity and your kindness and the way you accept and how so many of you have favor with people in our community. I'm humbled by it. They have the favor of all the people. And Luke says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved, finding Jesus. This has been happening, growing in a relationship with Jesus and having a church for unchurched people from the very beginning. And if you ask me what made this possible, I would say grace and truth together. I would say relationships over rules in this place. Focus on Jesus, the fact you guys have invited and served like crazy and decided to do things with excellence. Not to mention, I don't even have time to go into the amazing staff we've had over the years, including our staff we have now. And if you ask me, Matt, what have you done right? I would say one thing I've done right besides try to love Jesus. I've decided to stay around for a while because I've done a lot of things wrong. A lot of things wrong, but there are statistics that say the longer a pastor stays at a church, the healthier the church gets if it's moving in a healthy direction. And if you would ask me, Matt, why did it work? Why are we here? Why are all these people? Why all the baptisms and the beautiful buildings? I would just simply say because God was working in broken places. He did what we could not, and we got to join him. God did it all. And when we run into tough times like this picture, this is a picture during COVID, Ann Dunn, who's in the room, put all these pictures on all these chairs because I was preaching to an empty room and she knew, knew I needed some encouragement. Thanks, Ann. Um, if, if, when this stuff happens and people say, Matt, is the church gonna survive? Is the church gonna last? Not just ours, but the church in general. I just go back to something that Matthew wrote down from what Jesus said. When he was talking about the church, he said, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church, which is confusing, but he's talking about building your church on Jesus and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Yeah, it's going to last because my friends, this whole idea was not my idea. It wasn't your idea. This whole idea was God's idea. It was Jesus's idea. And we're along for the ride participating in it. Now, before I wrap up this time, and I wish I had more time, before I wrap up this time, I want to invite one more person out, or another person out, um, and that's my incredible wife, Tina. And here she comes. Yeah, how about Tina? Oh, I like Jazz hands, I love that. That's good. Now, here's what you, I, I don't have time to go far into this, but I just need you to know, without Tina, I would be a failure in all things in my life. And I don't exaggerate that. I mean, sure, I probably could be a bouncer at a bar, which would be a fine thing. I could do that. 
But without her and holding the glue in this place together, I would be lost in so many ways. And she has been here as long as I have. And my face is on everything, which it shouldn't be, but it is. But behind the scenes, she's been so faithful and so dedicated. And I just want to thank you for that. I'm grateful. Now, I want to show you one more thing that you know I was going to show you. It's this picture right here. Now, we don't talk about this picture a lot. But before we redid construction on this place, on that far wall, we prayed over this place. And people wrote names on that wall. And they were names of people they were praying that would come or find Jesus. And those names represent something. And you can't see them because we plastered and painted over the top of them. But they represent our mission. And that's to reach people and love people. And for you, thank you for being part of that. But for all of you, thank you that you care about people besides just yourself. You don't walk in here and you just hope, man, someone does something for me. You show up and you serve and you love kids and you love students because you know it's more than just for you. If you got to write a name on that wall, you keep praying for those names. And if you didn't get to write it on that wall, write that name down somewhere, someone that you just pray and hope finds Jesus and we'll come alongside and we'll work through that with you. Now, to finish up this time, I want to invite just a couple more people out that are really meaningful to me. I want to invite Ava Seal Scott out and her family. They should be close. Come on in, guys. Now, let me tell you why I had Ava come out. Ava, I promised her I wouldn't make her talk. I'm so tempted to make you talk in front of me, but I won't, I promise. Ava is 15 years old. That means when she was just a little baby, her parents brought her to this church. And this is a picture of what we have been a part of because Josh and Andy have taught her about Jesus and loved Jesus and been part of our church. In fact, when Ava was in Wombaland, Andy was our Wombaland director, one of the very first employees we ever had and did an amazing job and had to put up with me learning how to lead staff. So I apologize for that uh, along the way. But here's what you need to know about Ava. Ava's had an incredible family, an extended family. She's also had small group leaders that have cheered her on and had conversations. And maybe the most beautiful part of this is Ava is now a small group leader for seventh graders, Ava, is that right? Sixth graders. She's given her life the younger generation coming up behind her. She's in high school, and she still has her own small group leaders helping her grow in her faith. And I just thought, what a great picture of what we've tried to do as a church, supporting her family to love Jesus. Now, let me do one more thing. I want to bring out another family really quick. I want to bring out Isaac and McKenna Rager, who should be close, because this is, this is where we're going as a church. We're going here and so much farther. This is Isaac, and this is McKenna, and this is Jack. Isn't Jack adorable? I mean, my gosh, never let babies on the screen, because they take all your stuff. He's, and he's healthy, Isaac, I'm telling you. That boy's strong. Now, I, um, Jack is, what, four months old, five months old, five months old. And someday he's going to be 15. And someday he's going to be 51. And what we want to do for Jack and we want to do for Ava and we want to do for people my age and the next generation past me is we want them to know Jesus. And if there are kids in our church, we're going to create environments to love them and serve them and tell them about Jesus. But if they're out in our community and they don't have a church, we are on track to reach them. And we're not backing down. We're not changing course. We're not letting up. We're keeping our foot on the gas because Jesus said, this is my church and I've come to reach the world. 
And I just want to thank you guys for letting us participate in your families in that. And Ava, as the rock star of the morning, just because of your age and what you're doing, thank you for setting the pace for us as adults. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> I, pr- I, pr- I promise some people I wouldn't do this, but I, I'm going to do it. If you don't serve in our church, don't let Ava out serve you. I'm just telling you. Let her set the example in our church. So I'm going to pray for you guys and everyone that's to come and who we're going to reach and help find Jesus along the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for Jack. I'm so grateful for Ava. I'm so grateful for the families and the single people that have found you and we're growing together. And Lord, we're a mess and we're broken, but you decided to work in broken places and that's a beautiful thing. Help us to stay on track and love you with all of our hearts and reach children and adults in our community that need to know you desperately. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.